Hi, everyone. Hi. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another edition. That's right. Pick your head up, boy. We got another edition of the uh, live Epstein episode 72, talking today about the tools that college coaches look for when recruiting high school athletes, high school baseball and softball players, and <clears throat> what better guy to do that with me today than the guy who right in front of me gave me the five tools that those athletes need. Get that a little bit later on the show. He's a former college hitting coach himself, professional evaluator, successful business owner, owner, and he's my former hitting coach, friend, co-host Jake Epstein. Fill it up, boy. Fresh cup of coffee this morning, ready to rock and roll. Right. He said he's ready to rock and roll. Let's do it. All right. So I'm right off the bat here. I'm going to bring up Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So that'd be five episodes in a row that I'm bringing him up. You are. You and I together. I mean, I don't have a Blue Jays jacket on right now. So I yeah, I like this jacket though. I like it too. Yeah, it's nice, very it's, it's very comfortable. Um, so Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Talked texted about him a little bit earlier in the week, kind of swinging. He likes to swing free and easy at times, and then other times he likes to ramp it up. We've talked about on this show before about barrel manipulation, that the great hitters can do that. And I think Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Marcus Simeon to an extent, who hit his, I mean, 40th, unbelievable, 40th home run the other day. They're able to manipulate the barrel to the point that they can hit the toughest pitchers' pitches, whether it be on the outer half, inner half, and pitches that are designed to get them out. That's exactly what Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Marcus Simeon, and by the way, that's what Bryce Harper is actually doing in the second half this year. Yeah, it's, you know, there's, there's a finite line of you know is it all a body swing is it all a hand swing is it do we do we use everything um together and, and how do we use it and how do we teach it and how do we relay information to our players but at the highest highest level when pitches are moving your hands i mean they've said it for you know as long as they've been talking about baseball he's got great hands uh, you know hey garen had great hands uh willie mays had quick hands there's a reason people say that, and it's because they probably use their body correctly. You know, you can't not rotate and use your hands well, but they also use their hands, and they've been taught to use their hands, you know, in certain facets of, you know, drills or stickball or pepper or whatever it might be. And I think we've gotten away from that in the teaching, um, and I see it all the time. Everybody's focusing on um, certain moves with the legs early in the swing. And they're thinking that that's going to make your barrel find the ball. And it, yeah. it doesn't. It might get you in a good position to get your swing off on time. That's mm -hmm. really, really important. But it's not going to help you from uh, finding the barrel. And I think finding the barrel has to do with, hey, we're, we're, on, a good, we're on a good path here. Our body's starting to rotate. And now i got to use my hands a certain way to get to the ball. And that's right. a, there's a lack of teaching with that for sure in today's game where, you know, it, it's so body dominant um, and players have one swing, right? They don't have Vlad. I've, I mean, I've seen him on high pitches where he, he, you know, totally gets on top of something and backspins a high pitch, right? That's so hard to do because you almost have to come down on it. And then he gets to a pitch at the knees where he's able to get through that pitch too. And his body didn't change a whole lot. You know, he sunk into his legs a little bit more, but his hand path was kind of drastically different to, to make that adjustment. And um, without, you know, I know I've taken up a lot of oxygen right here, but 
um, we, we have, I have to prepare for a, a couple events I have coming up. <laughs> so I have an Alaska coaches uh, training next weekend uh, in Anchorage. So I got a ton of coaches up there I'm training. And then uh, like two weeks after I got certification. So this is good for me to talk about. Um, but, you know, getting to those different pitches and having an adjustable swing and working that player out in those certain zones is really, really important, you know, for players. Otherwise, you have a one-dimensional player that just swings. And that's what we see a lot of. Okay, I hope it's, you know, middle in or middle away, thigh high. And if I get one of those pitches just at bat, hopefully I hit it over the fence. And if I don't, I'm probably going to punch out. And that's kind of where we are. Right or wrong, home runs, drive-in runs. Absolutely. Walks, drive-in runs. So if I'm tunneling a, just a certain pitch, you know, I shrunk my strike zone down this small and I'm tunneling a certain pitch. If I get it and I do something with it, you know, that's good for the, that's good for the team. Um, I just don't know if that's all around good hitting or all around good for the game. So I invite everybody to go back and listen to, in our archives, the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. episode where we broke down his swing. I want to ask you a question about him, though, and this kind of pertains to Marcus Simeon, too. Why is it that Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Marcus Simeon, some of the best hitters, but just kind of focusing on those two because they're having tremendous seasons. By the way, 40 home runs for Marcus Simeon. He has to be in the MVP race in the American League. He has to be. He's made as much of a difference as Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has made. So is Marcus Simeon to almost mm-hmm. almost even with Guerrero Jr. But mm-hmm. with Vlad, is he? would you categorize him as a hands, handsy guy? Why is, it he, why is it that he's so good with his hands? Because his lower body and the way he coils and everything else is tremendous too. It is. Um, yeah, I would definitely categorize him as a, as a handsy guy. And it may yeah. have just been his upbringing. Yeah. You know, his dad was a big leaker for a really long time and a good one. <laughs> you know, yeah. and he didn't, you know, he didn't grow up with, oh, here we have all this technology and, you know, Sensors, which are great, like you have to, if you, if, technology is fantastic if you use it the right way. Technology is terrible if you rely on technology to actually teach something. Sure. Okay. But if a good person that, that, that is educated in how to use it, uses it, then it's like the greatest thing ever. But, um, you know, sometimes we just use technology to, to power us like, oh, you hit that ball harder. Mm-hmm. So do that again, you right. know, but that might not be a repeatable move. It might not be a move that's in the zone. So he obviously didn't grow up in that environment in today's um teaching because you know he spent time although i what is he a canadian citizen wasn't he born in canada i believe he was he was born in canada grew up in the dominican republic yeah and so that dominican montreal is is different yeah french canadian so uh, yeah he's definitely a a latin born well he's not latin born but uh raised a latin raised player and that's but he has what I see. Yeah, like, roots are, he has rhythm. Yeah. yeah, he has rhythm and he has he has he has great hands and great barrel release and, and great swing plane, um, which is um, I'm not going to say we don't have that here in, in the United States, but it's more prevalent when I look at, you know, the top amateur, you know, 15 year olds coming from an international country, you know, whether it be uh, the Dominican or Venezuela or, you know, Panama or Curacao or wherever it might be. Um, and you compare that to 16 year old, you know, baseball players here, there's a different look. Mm-hmm. There's a different look to that, to them swing just based on their player development growing up. Yeah. You've talked about it before where it's more upper body centric and then it's the lower body where in the States it's the opposite. And quite honestly, uh, Vlad's lower body is not aggressive. Yeah. Um, he creates separation, but his lower body isn't, 
if it isn't a powerful, you know, huge move like a Josh Donaldson or somebody like that that's really trying to get into the ground and sit down on his back leg. A lot of times, Vlad's back leg is pretty straight, especially yeah. on outside pitches when you have to use your hands more. So he's he uses his body well, but you know he's not trying to to fire everything. You know, like a and he's big, right? So you don't have to. You know, when you're you know, I was at the lab last week and we were working on you know trying to overload, like we had heavier bats and we were working on, you know, using our body correctly to power the bat, the first part of this weight, right. Mm-hmm. From stride to heel plant to the first body rotation, um, where if you're 110 pounds, you got to really focus on that when you're a kid, you know, when you're a, you know, however old, you know, 10 to 14 years old, you got to really right. power that move when you get older, or if you're just big growing up, you know, you were never the small kid, then you don't have to rely on that as much. Yeah. So you brought up technology. I was going to bring this point up, uh, this story up um, later on in the show, but since technology was brought up, it's kind of an easy segue. Uh, for those who don't know, Kyle Bodie, who was the director of pitching for the Cincinnati Reds for the last two years, he has parted ways with Cincinnati. That was over the weekend. I think his contract was coming up at the end of October. So I don't know, again, if he parted ways, got fired, let go. I don't know. I think there's a weird fetish with sports fans, a segment of them that enjoy seeing personnel get fired, coaches, managers, general managers, et cetera. I mean, the NFL, yeah. they've got Black Monday, a whole yeah. day that's dedicated right. to coaches being fired. So I'm not going to venture to say if he got fired or not. All I know is that he yeah. parted ways with the Reds. Data guy, tech guy, he created Driveline Academy in Seattle, I think it is, right? In Seattle, where they work with predominantly pitchers, but also hitters as well. They'll probably say that they work with hitters just as much as pitchers, but I think they're behind on that. Nevertheless, uh, he's been with the Reds the last two years. And from what I've heard with from somebody in the Reds organization that I know that worked in the Red, it works in the Reds organization, he was rigid in his attempt to be non-conformist, he was and ended up being a conformist. He really wouldn't listen to anybody that went against his ideas. Again, all alleged uh, accusations here, but um, uh, brings me to the Yankees and the Reds kind of started this uptick a little bit, if you will, of getting rid or parting ways with Kyle Bodie and their, their director of minor league hitting or minor league hitting coordinator, whatever his official title was. And with the Yankees, if they don't make the postseason this year, Brian Cashman, there's rumblings he may go, probably not. Aaron Boone, he'll probably be fired. If they don't go deep into the playoffs, Aaron Boone might be fired. But I'm wondering on the baseball operations side, Ep, if the Yankees don't make the postseason, with how analytical heavy they are, they've beefed up their analytics department in the last five to six years. And we've seen the Yankees be the flag bearer of new trends. They created their own network, for God's sakes. The reason the Cubs have their own network now on TV on TV is because of the Yankees. The Yankees were the first team to have the boisterous type owner. They were the first team to win four championships in five years. They've always been at the top of the new evolution of baseball, whatever that categorizes as. So my question with the Yankees, if they don't make the postseason, will they be the first team that really cuts the analytical department in half or even who knows 60 to 70 percent and goes back more to baseball guys and starts that trend of the game going back to more of baseball eccentric guys and having the tech and the analytics as kind of a compliment i don't know time will tell right um you, everything you said is true like this you know they 
they are heavy. They have a, you know, a full time, I don't know how many employees they have in their, in their, you know, analytics department, but it's big. And, and, and where, you know, where, what part of analytics are we looking at? Are we looking at, you know, how to create a plan? Mm-hmm. Are we creating, you know, what, what pitchers pitch, what, you know, what pitchers, what pitchers throw well, what hitters hit well, are we matching up all of those, you know, variables and then creating a plan with that? Is it mechanical based? Um, it's all about velocity, you know, on the pitching side, it's all about spin rate and, and throwing a ball that doesn't conform to the normal 95 mile an hour fastball. Maybe it cuts a little bit, you know, or maybe it doesn't drop as much or maybe it drops more, right? Mm-hmm. All that stuff. So I, I, I don't know what they'll do. I know they've invested a ton in it. Um, is it their player personnel that they have that can't produce it? Uh, I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I don't is it their is it their management or coaching coaching staff that isn't implementing? I I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I I mean, somebody's always has to kind of take the brunt of the sword, right? Which is kind of a bummer. But um, I definitely think it's more in the upper management uh, realm, not the field management that that might be causing. Uh, I guess cloudiness, you know, judgment, too much information, you know, sometimes is not good for hitters, right? Yeah. Or coaches, you know, all of a sudden, instead of spending time with that hitter, getting on a personal basis and throwing a BP and getting to know how they are and what kind of person they are and how they're feeling that day, are they having family problems? I mean, these are people, these are human beings that are that are out there playing a game every single day. And even though we would all love to be, you know, standing at Yankee Stadium, there's a lot of stress that is involved with that. You know, I mean, they're traveling a lot. They're at the ballpark till 12. You know, they don't see their kids, right? Their kids get up, they go to school. Um, they go to the ballpark at, you know, 11 o'clock, 10, 11 o'clock. They don't get home till one in the morning. They don't see their kids, right? And then usually they sleep in, right? Because they got to get their rest and their kids are already gone. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a, a family conducive life during the season. It's very stressful. So, you know, the whole Reds thing and, um, you know, with their, their minor league hitting coordinator, um, he's a really good guy, by the way, he's a Colorado guy too. Um, grew up right around here, you know, CJ and, uh, you know, you don't know, but yeah. you know, I do know the internet pulls, they pull for people to fail and, and that's not right for anything, you know, granted you could have personal biases, but you never want to pull for somebody to fail. So those guys will, I'm sure land on their feet, especially CJ, you know, Kyle's kind of on it. He doesn't care. You know, he, he he's very rigid and outspoken. And it's like, you know what? I believe in what I teach and I'm not going to bend. Like that's yeah. just the way it is. So um, whether he'll latch on with another club or not, I, I wish, you know, it'd be really cool to see why. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it'd be really neat to see why he's not going back. Like what that system was, was it, were there injuries? Were there a lot of injuries that came up? Did they have a lot of guys that had to, you know, go on. Maybe they didn't blow anything out, but they had a lot of soreness. So, you know, was there an issue there on the hitting side? Was there a lot of strikeout issues? You know, I know one of the driveline guys is with the, the Phillies in the minor league is still the Phillies. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure it's the Phillies minor league system, minor league coordinator, whatever, you know, and um, you know, it, it's interesting to see that, you know, I've had players work at driveline um, that I coached both at Mizzou and uh, personally. And I, you know, i I don't dislike what they do. Um, I think they use technology in a way that um, maybe doesn't fit every player and every player type. Like if you went there, Jim, at you know your size and the style outfielder you were, and 
you were trying to launch balls as far as you can and hit them as hard as you can. You might do things with your body and your swing plane to do that off of a machine or off of technology like hit tracks. Oh, you know, I want to hit this. If I hit it at 25 degrees, it only goes 320 feet. If I hit it at 38 degrees, it goes at uh, 380 feet. So you do something to your barrel to try to hit it on that higher launch angle, but all of a sudden that only plays off somebody throwing 40, you know, five mile an hour BP. It doesn't play off somebody throwing 90 something mile an hour BP. Right. And, and so how you prepare and use technology is very important. So, you know, that was the only issue I had with players that, you know, trained there was, um, it was a, it's a great training environment. Um, but they, they weren't, um, they, they were concerned with results and, you know, everybody loves results, right? How far can you hit it? Can you swing harder? Can you hit it farther? Can you hit it harder? And unfortunately that didn't carry over when game time came around to these players, they were exposed quite a bit. And so swing plane changes had to be made. Um, but maybe you put swing plane changes on top of guys that are really trying to train and get power. And it's a good combination. Again, it has to do with the person in charge and the person creating the plans and the person overseeing the plans. Also, too, another thing I heard about Kyle Bodie, allegedly, when he was very dirty in the clubhouse. Remember that? Remember that, kids? Oh, that's, that's somebody you don't want. You don't want that person working for you in life or in baseball. If they're dirty, so, that tells you a lot, doesn't it? It's going to be a roommate somewhere. I know. I, I actually, when I was going to bed last night and you know saying goodnight to my kids, I noticed the uncleanliness of some of our bathrooms in yeah. the uh, Epstein household and. Mm. Today will be uh, kind of a grumpy day for me. Are are you doing the cleaning? No. Good. My my parents made me clean. Yeah. No. It. it yeah. But you know. And I have the cleanly. I always had the cleanliest room out of my sister and me. Yeah. My sister's the yeah. dirty one, even to this day. Yeah, it doesn't go away. Lauren, clean up your shit. Yeah, it doesn't go away. You you kind of are what you are. Yeah, but it is. But on a more serious note. Being uh, dirty in the clubhouse, I've seen this with coaches a lot in baseball, not as much as the cleanliness guys, the clean guys, but I've seen coaches who are dirty and they always end up losing their jobs and things always their department or their, their, uh, their strength, what they teach. It always is all over the place. I've seen it happen. It's, 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 a t- yeah. it's a tell sign of, of things to come. If you're dirty. Yeah. Just me. I don't know. Maybe well, I'm too- if you leave something on the ground, right? Injured. You know, yeah. you, 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 or on you the know, table they, crumbs. You, you it's you like clean a, up your shit. Yeah, yeah. Power bar, right? You finish it. You, you know, you lay it on your desk. Yeah. And then the next day, it's still there. And then you know, somebody comes in, walks by, and it falls on the floor. And right. then it just kind of works its way over in the corner. Well, what are you going to do with your players? Exactly. Right. You're going to just let them kind of drift and, yeah. and do their do their own thing. So there's de- there's definitely a correlation there. Hundred percent sure, agreed. Be sure to like, but I don't know about the power bar. I mean, the power bar doesn't really make crumbs. It's more I'm talking like crackers. I'm talking. You know, I was talking about the wrapper, Jim. Oh, I'm talking rapper. about the crumbs. The wrapper. Right. The wrapper. See what I do, and I mean the power bar. What I do, and the audience probably doesn't care about this, but I don't really care. What I do is I don't even take the whole wrapper off. I just I peel the wrapper back. I take a bite. Peel it back a little more. Take another bite. Peel. I keep peeling it back, and to the point, I never touch the power bar with my hand. I just, once that final little piece is in the wrapper, I pop, pop it right into my mouth, throw the wrapper away in the trash bin. Yeah, but what if you put it on your desk instead? I don't do that. I hold it in my well, hand. Uh, I also eat it very quickly. I don't, I don't, you know, I go, you know. 
I'm like Billy Bean in Moneyball, where he just stuffs food in his mouth and then just goes. That's just me. I go, all right, let's go. Right. I got something to do. Got something to do, baby. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe to the show. Also, Apple, Google, Spotify, our YouTube page, The Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast. We say it every week. If you haven't subscribed already, what are you doing? There's videos up there. You can watch us do the show. There's archived episodes. So get subscribing. The Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast YouTube page. Also email us, jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. I saw a thing on social media that was circling the drain. Call back to last week's show. Remember? Uh, it was circling the drain this week on social media. Downhill front toss, meaning the hitter would stand on the mound and the coach would, did you see this? The coach would toss, obviously, front I, toss, underhand yeah. toss behind an L screen. And the hitter was on a mound and they were hitting downhill or on a downhill slope. Do you like that? Yay, nay. I'm looking at your face. You're kind of like, eh, you know, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, that's, that's old. That's 90s right there. Yeah. Um, you know, hitting down the mound. Sometimes it's good. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a player collapsing their backside, yeah, give it a give it a shot. Um, I've done it, not that extreme. So I've done it on something with less of a slope, mm-hmm. um, like a driveway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, with with yeah, I've told players to do that. I've also done it the other way, where they're going uphill on a mound mm-hmm. to try to get a little bit more weight in their backside if they're used to like really collapsing their backside. So. Um, yeah, to each their own, you, you have to do what that player needs. If that player needs to get a little bit of a weight shift, maybe going down the mound's a good little drill to do for, sure. you know, probably 40 swings, nothing crazy. And vice versa, if a, if, if a player's, um, really getting forward in their stride and they can't control it, maybe go up the mound mm-hmm. to try to get them to hold a little more weight on their back foot. Yeah. Also, do you, have any, do you have any, um, uh, any, Thoughts on Ryan Braun retiring or no? Just kind of want to leave that there. Good player. Yeah, mixed, but... mixed feelings. I really loved yeah. Ryan Braun, yeah. you know, and, and the whole, you know, uh, performance enhancing stuff, put a damper on it, and then he was kind of never dominant again after that. Yeah. So I, yeah, it's what it is. I really like him as a person. He's a great human being. Yeah. Um, charity wise and, and, and clubhouse wise and, um, you know what it's what it is that, that was a unfortunate part of the game that you know a lot of people did and mm-hmm. um yeah so you got nothing for him i got nothing i got nothing nothing, I got nothing. going to look nothing. up his... enjoy your re- enjoy your retirement going to look up his not you know two, that was interesting with him 2020 was a really bad year but he was decent in 2019 2020 was just a bad year, but I don't know how much you take from that because it was such a short year. I'm trying to look up his numbers here, but he was pretty decent up until 2020. All right. 37 years old. Yeah. Some are saying that he's one of the greatest brewers of all time. It's fair. No. Yeah. I'm looking up his stats here. Okay. Hits 1,963, almost 1,200 RBIs. How many home runs here before you completely bore the audience? Okay. Here we go. Find this baseball reference page. There you go. Uh, Well, you had 203 hits and lead the league in 2009. Pretty good. That's a pretty good year. Six-time All-Star, 352 career home runs. 
Not bad. Yeah. You know, I not, mean, that's not a Hall of Famer, but no, but he's definitely oh, 296 a... career hitter, though. Yeah, he could hit. Good you know, hit. he just has that stain. You know, he has that that uh, that violation of whatever it was, whether it was he was doing doing something for five or six years, or he got caught doing taking something that he shouldn't have, and it would had no effect on his career. Yeah, you know, only he knows. All right, let's get it. And he lied to Aaron Rodgers about that too. Ooh, look out! You don't want to piss off Aaron Rodgers. No, you don't want to piss off Aaron the... Rodgers. No, you don't want to piss off the guy who lost thirty-eight to three to Jameis Winston last week. God Very forbid! Yeah. Look out! Yeah. All right, let's get into today's topic. Um, our main topic at hand: tools that college coaches look for on the baseball and softball side when they're recruiting a high school athlete. At, uh, and the people on the YouTube side. So if you're not watching on YouTube, you won't see the graphic. Too bad. Maybe you should be watching on YouTube. But if you're listening, Ep has uh, five, tool, five, uh, not tools, five, uh, which we'll call it. Uh, yeah. yeah, five tools. Right. I was right. Five tools, tools. that he looks for. I'll read them off here. Five tools that he looks for when he's recruiting maybe a hitter or somebody that can play at the collegiate level. Did you, by the way, did you do any uh, recruiting? at all at Mizzou or was that not really your avenue? Wasn't technically allowed to do recruiting. How come? Uh, Cause I was a third assistant. Okay. So only the two assistants are allowed to do like in person. So I could look at, you know, video and I couldn't right. leave to do recruiting. I guess that's the best way. You can't travel to do recruiting. Okay. Um, and then they didn't pass that rule. And I was, that's a real bummer. They need to really, reevaluate that but but you can ultimately you you can be in on those recruiting meetings and you can look at look at a guy and say okay mm-hmm. i think this guy would be a good fit here right okay mm-hmm. um leadership and character on the field high baseball slash softball iq overall athleticism size and stay eligible okay there's one question i have there it's the size mm-hmm. part mm-hmm. can you just define that more because there's been uh, nick magical yeah, no. dustin bedroy Dust- I, I have to bring yeah it. Uh, size is in, um, you know, sometimes size and strength for that role, yeah. you know, that you're looking for. Like, I'm not going to go look for a, a you know, a, a, you know, second baseman that's six, three. Right. And I'm also not going to look for a corner outfielder that's, you know, five, five foot eight, sure. um, sure. you know, so it's, it's size in, in terms of, um, you know, and I kind of group that together as in the, um, physicality. You know, I know we have the athleticism in there, but, you know, size and strength, like can this person hit the ball hard enough to compete at this level, mm-hmm. um, which is which is a factor. Um, unfortunately, sometimes it's a bad factor. You know, I don't know. This kid only hits the ball, you know, 92 miles an hour off the tee. Well, this kid at a recruiting combine hit the ball 102 off the tee. Sure. You know, is this big, strong, physical person going to be a better player? Are they yeah. going to be a better fit in our, and sure, that's, that's a boom. Like you get a guy that is that physical. Yep. Sign him up. He'll probably sign. Maybe he won't, mm-hmm. uh, but we'll have him. But could that guy be a cancer in your, in your clubhouse? Yeah. You know? And so you have to bring that in because there's nothing that ruins the team more than the, the wrong attitudes and lack of leadership. And that's a really big thing. I remember hearing a story of Jace Tingler and I, we probably mentioned this maybe on the podcast a long time ago. So Jace Tingler, the manager of Red of the Padres, Mm-hmm. He went to a showcase deal at Mizzou 
Um, he was tiny at the time, right? I mean, he's built now, but you know, he was still in high school. He was probably 150 pounds, something like that. And they're, they're in a scrimmage, right? Like a, you know, at a recruiting type camp yeah. and he two outs run around third infields back. He pushed bunt or he dragged bunts to third base scores the run gets on first base mm-hmm. and coach Tim Jameson was like, he had no idea. Like he didn't, wasn't looking at, at Jace at all to be on his team. Mm-hmm. And it was like, boom, I need that guy. Yeah. Like somebody that does that at a, you know, a, a recruiting event where everybody's trying to throw the ball hundred and hit the ball as far as they can. Yeah. He's trying to put his team ahead, you know, in the late yeah. innings. And he plays incredible defense too. Like those are the kind of things that stand out because everybody does the same thing, right? Everybody, you know, goes to those things. They try to throw the ball as hard as they can. They can feel the ground ball. You know, so being at those events, you know, looking if somebody's competitive, right? Are, are they taking competitive at bats? Right. Um, right. I remember uh, a guy who was a was a freak. You know, like kind of like a football. He was a, a, a wide receiver, high school wide receiver, six three. You know, two hundred pounds, fast. You know, ran like a six seven, six eight. Um, you know, you you t- watch him take BP, takes great BP. You know, and we watched a ton of at-bats from different events, you know, summer events that he played in. And he never, like, barreled a ball up in a game. You know, out of 20 at-bats, he hooked a a ball down the the left field line for a double. Mm -hmm. You know, he never drove anything. Like, it wasn't showing up. Mm -hmm. And... I said, there's something to it. And everybody's, well, we, you know, he's physical, he's this and that, and we can, you know, work, or maybe he's got a vision. I, I said, you know, some guys hit, some guys don't. You can do what you want, but I don't think. And anyway, there was another school that ended up picking him up, and he was gone after his first year. Like, he just couldn't compete at that level. And, and he had the tools, too. He had pretty good mechanics, yeah. right? He had, you know, all the physical tools, but he just didn't do the right thing when the lights came on. Mm-hmm. And some guys that have ugly swings or have ugly, you know, metrics, when the lights come on, they shine. And that's why recruiting is so important to see people in action and not be a, um, you know, and unfortunately, that's what they have to do. We have to recruit players, at least like in huge conferences, right? Your power five conferences. We're recruiting people when they're freshmen, sophomores. So yeah. as a freshman, this guy's hitting the ball 10 miles an hour harder than every other freshman at the, at the combine. He must be great. Yeah. So let's get him to verbal commit. And then all of a sudden that player never gets any better. And you, you have to be careful basing things just on that because there's, you know, what is the work ethic like? You have to talk to their high school coach. You have to talk to their summer coach. You have to figure out, you know, what kind of person they are. Um, you know, do their teammates like them? Or are they like, oh, you know, he's just, he's there for himself. Um, you know, these are all things that play in the equation because you only have X amount of scholarships. Yeah. And if you lose them, you lose APR points. You know, if, if, if players transfer, they flunk out. So it's not just about the best player all the time, you know, or the best tools all the time. It's so we're about be, that complete player. We're going to be talking about showcase players in a couple of weeks. And I'm, you brought up a lot there about mm-hmm. showcases and seeing guys under the lights. How do you recruit somebody? And this is kind of advice for players too, to be on the lookout for and, and have some self-awareness when they're playing. But how do you recruit a guy? How do you know the difference between a guy who shines underneath the lights or, and somebody who has all the tools and you say, that's a can't miss guy, but just when the lights come on, they can't perform because there are plenty of cases of that. Yeah, there's a ton. Uh, the eyes of the beholder, right? right? I mean, that's why good scouts are good scouts and good right. recruiters are great recruiters. Right. Um, 
you have to really be invested in that player's at bat. Um, you have to, you know, kind of understand the situation as a player. So when I see, for instance, pitching coaches that are recruiting coordinators, mm-hmm. um, I feel that that pitching coach can go out and get inside that pitcher's head during competition. Sure. But they can't do it with just vice versa. If I was a recruiting coordinator, and I went to, to, to look at pitchers, I'd be like, what is the stuff, right? right? What are the raw variables of his stuff? You know, how hard he throws, um, how many swings and misses he gets, what kind of, you know, maybe what kind of spin rates can he get his breaking ball over, things like that. And I'm looking at, does this guy want the ball? Is he competitive? Like, is he just a bulldog out there or is he, you know, he's just kind of going through the process. But I don't know the, you know, how is he trying to attack that, that hitter? You know, that, that's not, I didn't play that game. I don't coach that part of the game as a hitter. I can get in their head and kind of understand, is he looking for the right pitches here? Why did he, why would he swing at that? That wasn't the right situation to swing at that. Um, So if you have a good evaluator and can figure out, Hey, this player is a gamer because they're thinking on a different level during the game, then that's super important. So the only way to do it is to be there. Yeah you have to be there or you have to have a good network of coaches that you trust at the amateur level, like travel ball coaches, you can contact and say, Hey, what is, what is so great about this player? What is so great about this player? Well, they look really great. They hit the ball really hard. uh, But in games, they seem to try to do too much. You know, they just, they're not performing in games. How many games have you played? We played 45 games. Oh, geez. Okay. Okay. What about this guy? Well, he doesn't have the most tools, but I'll tell you what, he gets two hits a game. Like he finds barrels, he hits the ball hard in games more consistently than anyone else. So, you know, it's 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 being able to see them in action and and see how they respond and, and does it fit what you want to see as a coach, um, and then using your other you know relationships that you have out there with different organizations. You know, it sounds like recruiting is just a cesspool for both baseball and softball. You know, how do hard. you how do you go about all that in your experience in, in trying to navigate those waters? You mean because there's so many, there's so many schmucks out there. There's so many, yeah, everybody's exploiting, you know, the kids, hey, this, come to this, hey, we'll put a website up for you um, and rank you among this person, you're the most eligible second baseman in the class of 2032. Right. Um, Yeah, it is. Some of that stuff is helpful for just raw data but i'll tell you what a lot of people though a lot of people don't in in major league organizations don't even pay attention to any of that stuff i don't think they even pay attention to mlb pipeline no they don't yeah they don't they have their own people that they trust but a major league organization has 50 people that they can trust you know to check that out where a college program has two to three right Correct. That's so it's different. So I was going to ask, so what's the biggest difference between scouting on the pro side and recruiting? You mentioned the five tools, but also re- recruiting on the collegiate end for college baseball and softball. Yeah. I mean, different layers, right? Because you have yeah. power five conferences, you have, sure. um, you know, SCS you, you have, and then you have division two. So you have so many different levels of athlete there. Yeah. That, it, that it's big and you have to use as many resources are out there. So the recruiting stuff tournaments or tournaments um you know online uh rankings those are more beneficial to college coaches by far especially ones that don't have big recruiting budgets and can't 
be out on the road. They can't pay for a couple coaches to airplane tickets, meals, food, or yeah. meals are food, but uh, lodging, all that stuff. Right. They can't, they can't afford to do that. So they have to use, okay, these guys went to this one showcase. I'm going to go to this showcase because there's eight players I need to see there. Mm-hmm. I can go to one spot, even though those families got destroyed with gate fees and team costs and all these other, it helps me out as a college coach because I can go to one spot and see all these players, you know, maybe four or five times this summer. Sure. So all those things you mentioned, leadership, character, high baseball, softball IQ, overall athleticism, size, stay eligible. They're just the five intangibles, the main intangibles. But I mean, there's so many you mentioned, division one, two, three, so many different conferences. How do you decipher players who should be in this conference or should be in this conference or whatever the case may be, division one, two, and three? And a lot of that has to do with tools. Yeah. So, you know, unfortunately, and I'm talking athleticism, size, strength, and speed, mm-hmm. you know, um, can you play? Look, if you're playing shortstop at a power five, if you're playing shortstop in the SEC mm-hmm. and you only throw the ball 80 miles an hour across the diamond, yeah, the guys that really run in that conference are going to beat out ground balls. Sure. You know, so uh, do you have elite footwork uh, yeah. to get the ball so you can make up for lack of arm strength? So, you know, usually that's, that's tools. You know, that the tools kind of dictate, dictate what level uh, of conference or division you're going to play. You know, how big, strong, fast are you? Yeah, you're not Why are those, How come those tools don't translate into like constant draft picks, though? You would think if everybody went to the SEC, for example, played in the SEC with all these tools, how come they're all not getting drafted? Because they're not all gamers. So you have players that analytic, right, but analytics have, will say that gamers don't exist. Yeah, but you have oh God. So you have that that kid. We'll talk about the same kid that's eighty across the diamond, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. He has no chance the SEC. Like, good lord, maybe he would have been all conference SEC every year as a second baseman instead of a shortstop. Yeah, right. And he's not right? super fast, but he mm-hmm. hit he hit four sixty. Yeah, and then in the whatever conference the mac conference you know or the c-mac or whatever you know where if that kid and you know what happened so there was a kid for instance that played at southeast missouri state right Mm -hmm. same school by the way that ryan howard went to go ahead did he go southeast or southwest south uh i think so he went to what's now called missouri Missouri. state what's now called missouri state that's southwest Whoops, so my bad. Sorry. Southwest is a good one. Yeah, that that's uh, not that Southeast isn't good. So yeah, um, I made a mistake. Southeast Sorry, is, everybody. <laughs> no, that's okay. No, that was a good poll with Ryan Howard. I know. Um, and South and Missouri State has a beautiful complex. So yeah. they share it with like the Cubs AAA or something. It blows really? Mizzou's baseball. Co- yeah, like Iowa. Would much rather go to the Iowa Cubs. They share. No, they can't so share it with the Iowa be, Cubs. Maybe no. It, no, maybe it's a double A. Maybe. I don't know what it is. It's a beautiful ballpark, though. Yeah. You know, and, and South and, and Missouri State gets to use it. Like, I mean, it's a gorgeous ballpark. That's a recruiting tool right there. Huge and look, recruiting look at our, tool. Look and, at our ballpark here, kids. Yeah. And look at our, and so they'll get better players than Missouri will get because people are like, dang, this is a really sweet complex. I yeah, it's like, damn, look at that complex. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm going to be better. So, uh, getting back to, uh, CMO. So they had this, uh, you know, player that was whatever good player. Anyway, he grad transferred to Arkansas, mm. right? And and hit like 310 at Arkansas. Mm-hmm. 
Why didn't he go to Arkansas in the beginning? Why didn't he go to Mizzou in the beginning? Why didn't he go to Kentucky? Why didn't he go to University of Tennessee? Because he was kind of sloppy. He was raw. He was a small first baseman that totally raked, but he was a first baseman. And he could always hit, and he went to a small school and raked there, and then he got his degree, and they will transfer to Arkansas and kick some butt there. So, again, there's a guy that's a gamer, mm-hmm. finds barrels, gets hits, drives in runs, but isn't a six foot three, 215-pound first baseman that you know Vanderbilt is going to go after. You know, or or Arkansas is going to go after. So those guys slip through the cracks. It doesn't mean they're not good players, but unfortunately, that's kind of the way the the big conferences work. And it's yeah, it's hard. It's an e- it's easy, right? This yeah. is a superior. At- I mean, you can go into a locker room and be like, "That's superior ethic." I used to look around the locker room and be like, "Oh, that must be nice. That must be nice. Fast, strong, whatever." You know, I mean, there's just better athletes all, all over the place. And you're like, eh, I do what I get. You're, right? That's what you're saying. Yeah. You're, you're going around. Hey, I was big, that must be I nice. Hey, like, that must be nice. Oh, yeah, that must, that must be nice. That's hey. right. <laughs> must be nice to walk around with that. Mm. But, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's nature of the beast, right? Yeah. If I get the best athletes, I feel, I remember, uh, I remember Steve, uh, Coach Beezer, you know, at a zoo saying what's more important player development or recruiting mm. right and i was like oh player development because that was mm. my job you know right and uh the and lance was like uh recruiting is way more important and you know recruiting is very important uh, so after player you, develop sorry I'm, I'm after you answered that on the interview right you, yeah. that's the that's the question you answered on the interview yeah yeah so after you answered that at the end of the interview did you say honey I got no shot of getting that job. <laughs> I was completely wrong. Or did they tell you that afterwards, after the fact? No, they didn't tell me I was wrong. I was right. Player development at a place like Mizzou is way more important because okay. you don't get five-star recruits. Or well, who recruits. told you you were wrong then? Oh, no one. No one told me oh, I was okay. wrong. Right. No, the, he asked us both. He says, what's more important? And our recruiting coordinator was like, well, recruiting is. I was like, well, Recruiting is important, but if you don't have a good player development to take a two-star athlete and turn them into a four-star athlete in three yeah. years, then, you know, if this was Arkansas, recruiting is more important. Right. Recruit the best, let them play. Put them in a good environment. Yeah. Uh, but when you're trying to play catch-up to mm-hmm. players that – to schools that maybe have more scholarship money or more opportunities or better athletes, player development is more important. All right, let's get to our listener question. Good stuff. But recruiting is really important. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I hope we answered it. I mean, I mean, yeah, honestly, did we touch on everything here today? I think recruiting might be more important, but you know, to me, at that position, player development is more important. Do we touch on everything today? That we need to uh, recruiting. Yeah, I mean, the the big thing to to be successful and to stay out of college. You know, you're trying to get recruited. You're trying to you're trying to outshine other people. Yep. You know, perform and work hard and be a good person because coaches notice that. And coaches don't just show up to games and see you play. Oh, they look really good on the field. Mm-hmm. They're talking to other people. They're talking to, um, you know, other coaches you've played for. Maybe not this year, maybe the year before in that organization. Well, they were, yeah, they didn't show up to practice. They kind of just relied on their tools. You know, they weren't a hard worker. They weren't working extra. Okay, that plays, uh, uh, you know, that. That's not good. 
Yeah. I mean, I remember when I was at Mizzou, we had certain guys that came in and worked extra all the time. And we had certain players that needed to that never did. Right. Like that started when they were in eighth grade. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that didn't, that didn't change. So, you know, we had, I was back and, and the softball class we had this week at the lab was, was awesome. The girls, I mean, they worked their tail off. And not only they worked for an hour and a half work with me, they were doing defensive work out on the field before they came in to hit. Mm-hmm. Like they're working on their throwing, they're working on their defense, they're working on their agility on a Tuesday. Yeah. And I made the joke because there's a house for sale by the lab. I made the joke that it, maybe you guys should buy that house because you spend so much time out here working. <laughs> you know, and, trying, <laughs> and, funny. and trying to get better. Yeah, they actually wanted me to buy it, but I, I just flipped the switch too expensive we don't have enough subscribers on the youtube page no see that's to, uh, we, we blame this on the audience and the subscribers to, to buy it this is on you app can't buy a house because of you people yeah for is it uh, my kids uh, are Academy. yeah my kids are sharing they share the garage yeah yeah and that's dirty bathrooms, I, have, I have a space heater <laughs> dirty bathrooms yeah, yeah. Let's get to our listener question. Our question this week comes to us from Sean Neast Rutherford, New Jersey, sent to us via Jimbo Podcast 21 at gmail.com. And Sean writes, hi, Jim and Jake. Great show you guys have here. I love listening every week with my eight-year-old son. We both are big Yankees fans. And he asked me the other day, dad, why can't the Yankees just hit the ball where the fielders aren't playing? He was referring to a shift that was on against Labor Torres. I didn't know how to answer him, though. And so I wanted to write in and ask Jake, to get his opinion on how hard it really is for a major league hitter to hit against the shift. Also, how would Jake try to strategize to counter the shift as a hitting coach? Thank you guys. Love the show. And that is from Sean from East Rutherford, New Jersey, sent to us via Jimbo podcast, 21 at gmail.com. And I think that's Sean's first email into the show. So thank you, Sean, for the question. That's a great question. You better be subscribed uh, on the YouTube page. <laughs> that's right, Sean. We're going we're gonna to look. <laughs> uh, Greg, I don't know if, they, if it was him or his eight-year-old son that said, "Why can't you just hit it where they ain't?" Right, right, right. Um, so, number one, when they when there's a shift, there's mm-hmm. a there's a reason there's a shift. So you mm-hmm. go by a, a hitter's tendencies. Um, when they hit the ball on the ground, eighty percent of the time they hit it here, mm-hmm. um, or ninety percent of the time they hit it here. If they hit it in the air, you know, eighty or ninety percent of the time they hit it here. So we, we shift accordingly. Now, now you take that player and you give them a giant hole right on the ground to the opposite field so the reason uh organizations are doing that is they would much rather have that player hit a try to sacrifice their swing sacrifice their aggression to hit a ground ball the other way Mm -hmm. and get on base versus maybe one out of 15 times they're going to hit a home run Mm -hmm. okay so they're saying if i can get them out of their norm you see this big hole now all of a sudden it's in my head as a hitter well all i have to do is do that then I get a good pitch to hit that I normally pull out of the park and I miss it, right? So that's the reasoning behind the shift. Uh, now, as as a hitter, you should be able to do that. But if you're just taught to sit back, rotate fast, and hit jacks, you don't have that barrel control. So I guarantee you, if you looked at a shift with, um, you can say Vlad, you know, right? Marcus Vlad with their barrel manipulation. Right. Yeah, so guys that have good barrel control, guys that hit 300, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at the shift, they're not nearly as drastic as the guy that hits 240, okay? Right. Because they can do that. They can say, okay, I got the right side open. I got right center open. If talking about a right-hand hitter. I'm going to keep my front shoulder down. I'm going to stay closed a little longer, and I'm going to hit a double to right center. If I don't hit a double to right center, I'm going to hit a ground ball through that big hole, okay? Right. And then all of a sudden, you do that a few times, and you change the shift. 
right? Now, all of a sudden, they're like, okay, we can't give up a runner on second base. We can't give up a base hit to right field, right? So now that shift and those players start to go back to, to a more normal position. Um, as a hitting coach, if, if I'm trying to do that, I'm, I'm just, I'm grooving. Uh, I'm not grooving, but I'm training my players to hit all different pitches and all different parts of the strike zone. It doesn't mean every hitter is going to be good at it, mm-hmm. but it's like, hey, are you sick of hitting bullets up the middle that are outs? Right? Right. Because the second baseman is, you know, right behind second base. Well, let's shift that. Let's work on this for a week and try. And all of a sudden, you start getting a couple base hits through that hole, and that second baseman starts to kind of go back to his position. So, um, in order to counteract that, you have to be a good all around hitter without sacrificing what you do really well. So, certain times in account, you know, maybe I am, you know, trying to drive balls. But when I have less than two strikes, I'm going to go ahead and try to use that hole. But it doesn't make any sense to try to use a hole if you don't have a swing that's conducive to controlling the barrel and hitting a, a ball in that area. So if you're somebody like, uh, so Aaron Judge isn't really going to, the way that his barrel works, he's not going to hit a ground ball to the opposite field. Right. Okay, everything he hits the opposite field is going to be high mm-hmm. because of his swing play. But if you could adjust that and, and just drill him to try to do that, great. But in doing that, do we sacrifice his power? Probably not. He's a very big, strong human being. I don't think he's ever going to lose power. Maybe he loses getting to certain pitches. But maybe he also adds, you know, something else to the equation. Um, Again, I'm talking about Yankees. I don't think Aaron Judge is a a bad hitter at all. I think he's a great hitter. What's he Mm -hmm. hitting? He's hitting 270 or something. Right. Um, I think think you can probably probably throw him into the MVP race in the American League. Yeah. Yeah. Stanton, I think, is having a a really good year for for him. I I Mm -hmm. mean, he's going to strike out a lot. That's just that doesn't doesn't have to do with the shift. It doesn't have to do with. Um, his mechanics, right? Yeah, those, guys have very, those guys have different. Well, no, I'm just talking about <laughs> just yeah, Yankee fan. I guess Sean is a Yankee fan. So yeah. We're ripping, like, ripping apart the Yankees in this episode. I think Stanton's having a great year, too. Yeah. I, I think he covers pitches, but he's going to miss pitches. Like, yeah. he's just, I mean, when you talk about somebody that um, doesn't have elite bat to ball skills, right? right? He's a great athlete, amazing athlete, strong, fast. Yeah. controls is but hitting is really hard in 0.35 seconds like trying to react some players can do that and some players can't doesn't mean it doesn't mean players that aren't elite at that aren't big leaguer he's still a big leaguer right. there's a lot of guys like that you know that that don't have that but they're still great players so mm-hmm. but he's a guy that's just going to miss more pitches badly like he misses pitches by a foot or two yeah so he also hit 35 home runs you know, yeah. I think he, he might be hitting 280. I don't know what I'll have to pull out. The last time I looked, he was. So um, anyway, to, to counteract the shift, you have to have hitters that are willing to do it. And right. you also have to have hitters that are willing to adjust their, their swing planes to do it and have the right mindset. Look, with two strikes, I'm going to go back to this, you know, or maybe with just one strike. I'm going to give myself one strike. And then once I get to one strike, I'm going to try to use the whole field a little bit more. All right. Well, next week, uh, thank you, Sean, for writing in. Good stuff there. Next week, we discuss. Uh, well, let me pull it up here. Next week, picking the right school and college to continue one's career. If people don't notice, it is kind of recruiting season with baseball, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's why we're doing this in September, because we're gearing up for not only my mechanical breakdown series, but. I see the LaSalle shirt, too. 
I know. I've got Blue Jays and LaSalle today. Right. And we're also gearing okay. up for our free agent frenzy, entire winner of breaking down offensive free agent swings. It's going to be a lot of fun. Be awesome. It's going to be, be fun, fun winner 2021 into 2022. Can't wait. Oh, show. I yeah. can't wait. And my fantasy team <laughs> probably going to win the championship. <laughs> Mark the date and time for that when I finish two and fucking seven or whatever. Um, so that's next week. Um, we're also doing Carlos Correa too in that in that uh, free agent frenzy, by the way. Chris Bryant. So those are some of the names we'll be discussing mm-hmm. in their swings and whatnot. Which, by the way, Epp on his own YouTube page, you've done breakdowns of both Correa and Bryant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be a lot of fun. It's like yeah, a long time ago. The Chris Bryant one's old, like when he first came up. It's gonna be like breakdown 2.0. Uh, what do you got coming yeah. up at the lab? We have certification coming up at the lab next month, the mm-hmm. 16th and 17th. Yeah. Um, if you especially if you're in the Texas, you don't have to get on an airplane, come see us. Mm-hmm. Had a lot of late registers recently from that, but hey, I fly to Texas every week. Yeah, or not every week, every month. So, you know, it's not that difficult. So we have uh, we have certification, and then we have uh, a little bit of a combine event going on, which is going to be really cool, um, where we can chart our players' progress. Now that we have we have such an elite strength coach there, I told you from Rutgers, Steve Price is so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we can really get our players kind of to that next level physically. You know, once they're hitting, it's kind of where it is. How can we make big gains by strength, speed, agility, flexibility, those kind of things? So we're really excited to kind of launch that this fall. All right, so that's coming up at the lab. And where do they find all of that information? They find it at thelabbcs.com. And to all my Alaska people, I'm yes. coming to see you in a few days. I can't wait. Coaches and hitters, I got a lot. I'm going to oh, be busy right. next weekend. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, that does it for us. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jim Tara at Epstein hitting both Twitter and Instagram. And we will see you next time. See you later, everybody. Bye-bye.